Let us join together in prayer. Living God, on the first day of the week, you brought to birth a new creation. Through the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, by your risen spirit, help us hear afresh the joy and hope of your resurrection power made known through the reading and preaching of this, your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our first reading of scripture comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 65, verses 17 to 25. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it, or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth. One who falls short of a hundred will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from John 21, verses 1 through 12, and the first part of 12 is where we'll end today. Let's listen together for the word of the Lord. Jesus later appeared to his disciples along the shore of Lake Tiberias. Simon Peter, Thomas the twin... Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee and the brothers James and John were there, together with two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. The others said, well, we will go with you. And they went out in their boat. But they didn't catch a thing that whole night. Early the next morning... Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize who he was. And Jesus shouted, Friends, have you caught anything? No, they answered. So he told them, Let your net down on the right side of your boat, and you will catch some fish. They did. And the net was so full of fish that they could not drag it up into the boat. Jesus' favorite disciple told Peter, "It, It is the Lord. And when Simon heard that, 
it was the Lord. He put on clothes that he had taken off while he was working, and then he jumped into the water. The boat was only about a hundred yards from shore, and so he swam. And so the other disciples stayed in the boat and dragged in the net full of fish. When the disciples got out of the boat, they saw some bread and a charcoal fire with fish on it. Jesus told his disciples, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter got back into the boat and dragged the net to shore. And in it were 153 large fish, but still the net did not rip. And Jesus said, come and eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to first talk about the passage that we read from Isaiah. If you listen to it, it's very poetic. It's inspirational, even. If you live right now in a moment of separation or weariness or pain or a time of desire for God's salvation, then this is your verse. In this passage from Isaiah that we just read, there is a promise that new realms will be created and that the current realms will be wiped away so that they won't even be remembered. Now there is another undercurrent to that that we can read into. Or if we've read the previous chapters in Isaiah, we'll, we'll know the whole story. But this whole book was one that was written for the Jewish people in the ancient days when they were exiled under Babylonian rule. Now we use it all the time, especially for the high holy days of Christmas and Easter. Handel's Messiah is largely lifted from the book of Isaiah. This book, more than many others in the Old Testament, tells the full story It tells the story and was written in exile and was also written in the aftermath. So it can convey the reality of current dire situation and also the positivity of a book written after liberation has taken place. So this passage that we read, this was written after the Jews were home and safe. And it marks also what life was like when they were still in exile, and not only the hope of the future that they now have. In verse 18, it says that heaven and new earth are rejoicing forever, so we can know that there was no rejoicing in what God had created while they were in exile. In exile, the city was not a delight, And the people of the city were hateful, and there was the sound of weeping and crying in the city. In verse 20, the people who have returned home from exile have healthy infants who live a long life, well past a hundred years old. Yet we can also tell that while they were in exile... They built houses and tended vineyards, but didn't live in those houses and weren't able to eat that food. Their labor had no real effect on the world. 
Their children felt doomed without a future. They felt like they were calling out to God and receiving no exile. They harmed one another. They destroyed each other. This is the life of the exile. The inverse. The life of hope and glory that we read about. I worry sometimes that it is hard for me, hard for us to imagine the life of an exile. I wonder if even my small comforts bar me from hearing the powerful hope here that Isaiah is preaching from our reading. Isaiah's audience were people who lived through generations of tragedy. I wonder how how it really resonated with them to hear these words of hope. Then I have a moment to recall the generations of my life. I remember how older Arabs in my family were treated with racism and scorn. I realize how our family has suffered through the loss of babies, how the fear of the future has crept into our lives. And surely, we have all had these experiences of exile brought on by separation from our home, brought on by the death of people we love, brought on by the exhaustion of work, that seems to bear no fruit, brought on by age that steals parts of who we were away from us, brought on by the real fear of being without a home. And then we turn and we look at the world and we see that when a landmark cathedral is engulfed in flames, when racists are burning down the churches of St. Laundry Parish here in the U.S., when people are murdered as they worship in Christchurch, New Zealand, and in Sri Lanka, we can feel the distance between the person and their faith home. Perhaps we can all feel that life of the exile a little more deeply than we realized when we first listened to Isaiah's words, maybe those words of hope are a little more meaningful to us than they are on the first paths. Maybe we know what it feels like to be untethered from our home of faith. Being in exile for the Jews in Isaiah's time was a total reversal of the way in which they were supposed to live, in the way in which they were supposed to exist. The whole point of the children of Israel was for them to be landed in the place of milk and honey and to be God's witnesses and emissaries to all the rest of the world, fulfilling the old Abrahamic promise, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to all nations. That's the life of the Jewish children of God, though, at this point, the inverse of that, the flip of that, that feeling that things aren't right, this isn't who we were made to be. And it's also the life of Simon Peter sitting in the boat overnight in the Gospel of John. They're all 
people without a home. We read this passage from John, and I have to wonder, what were those Christ followers thinking at this point? Sitting by the Sea of Galilee, and now it's not the entire group, it's just a a handful of them hanging out on the shore, and it's already evening. They're basically homeless. Remember, everything that they did while they were following Jesus around was to depend on the hospitality of others, and you have to assume that was because of who Jesus was. They're asking questions of each other, they're chatting, they're reflecting on what has happened. Was any of this real? Why did God do this to us? Jesus is back from the dead, but we don't know what to do. We're we're still questioning. What do we do now? Everything's overlapping, happening in rapid fire, and then suddenly Simon Peter gets up. I'm going fishing. He doesn't invite anyone else to go along. (laughs) He doesn't say why he's going fishing. Maybe he just can't stand feeling like this and not doing anything. Because Simon Peter is still experiencing exile. His home is gone. His life is unstable. His church is burning. His friend, his rabbi, has been murdered in front of him. He's untethered and unfocused, and even his companions perhaps now feel distant. So he does the same thing that maybe we would all do. He goes back to his old habits, to his old life. He does what he knows, the old patterns. He gets up and he goes out into the water. I'm going fishing. And his friends, who are a blessing, say, well, we'll, we'll, we'll go with you. We'll all go. And it's an all-night process, fishing in the ancient world. The sun is down. They bring some things to eat. It's hard work, though. It's a lot of sweat, throwing nets out into the water, pulling nets wet back into the boat, untangling the mess at sopping wet and throwing it back out to start over again, over and over. They talk to each other. Maybe they laugh. Maybe they weep a little. Maybe they quote Isaiah 65 to each other, trying to find some hope in their own sense of exile. Their leader is dead. The movement is over, though. Was it just a waste of time? What are they supposed to do? In the middle of all of this activity and further questions, Simon's exile deepens. Simon Peter is in anguish, I think. Because you think back to what Simon Peter has been. Simon's been in exile since his utter and abject failure as a denier of being a follower of Christ. Ever since he stood around that charcoal fire and said, I do not know him. Now, how is he going to carry on? He tries to do what he's always done, but even that is falling flat. They don't catch any fish. Then, early the next morning, there is some, there is some guy on shore. It, it's only 100 yards away, but it's too far for them to make it out in the pre-dawn light. But you can hear each other. If you've ever stood across a lake, you know how sound bounces across the top of the water. 
And this person on the shoreline asks the inevitable question of every person who has ever gone fishing in their lives. Did you catch anything? The answer comes back maybe a little salty after being out on a boat all night and catching nothing for this group of fellows who was supposed to be fishermen once upon a time. They say, no. The Greek is really good about punctuating that with an explanation mark. Try the other side of the boat. They do it, and lo and behold, what can only be described as a miracle happens. And John, the author of the gospel, catches on first and tells Simon, It's the Lord! That's who that is! That's the only person that could be! And Simon, Simon Peter, exiled completely for these past few days since the night of the arrest. If you look back in the past two appearances of Jesus, Simon Peter says nothing. He has no role in those two instances. This person that was supposed to be so close to Jesus maybe is tucked away in a corner reliving the three times that he had denied Christ already. But now, right now, in the presence of this miracle, in the presence of Christ Jesus standing on the shore, Simon has his breakthrough. He jumps up into the water and swims out to Jesus. And at this point, I am reminded of a line from the story of the prodigal son. And while he was yet still far away, he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And so there is a running through the surf There is a laughing and embracing because exile is over. The hope of Isaiah's words in chapter 65 ring true and clear. There is rejoicing and gladness at last. There is delight and no sound of the weeping that took place in the night. through the darkness and through the loneliness of work that sometimes seems as if it has no purpose in it. Jesus is a man of miracles, God's son who welcomes us on the shoreline of our lives with the embraces of a dear friend who's made us breakfast. It is no small thing that after the weariness of exile on the ship, Christ's first order is to feed his friends. Come and eat. Here where Jesus has built a fire on the shore to welcome you. Now this past year, we had an awesome time with the confirmands. And it reminded me a lot of my own confirmation story, my own confirmation year, which happened in in a very similar way. We took several retreats throughout the year to do our confirmation work together. There was another reason that that kind of came to mind, which because for me, that year was also a time of exile. 
For many of us in our teenage years, because of change and trying to figure out the truth of the person that God made us to be at that time, it is hard. In our small town that we had just moved into, it was extra hard for me to try to figure out who God wanted me to be. My parents were separated, and we were going back and forth from town to town. was hard. The other students in this new town had a very narrow understanding of what was acceptable. If only comics and Star Wars were as popular then as they are now, I would have been made. I would have been golden. I would have been so much different. But other students found me and I found them. Other folks who were kind of on the fridge. Other people that were experiencing their own exile. The interesting thing is that as we became closer as a group of friends, as we found our strength together, we began to notice something else about the others in the school. The rich kids, the sports people, the A-plus students, all these other groups. We realized that they were in exile too. They had their own families of hidden pain. They had their own fears In fact, the secret that I discovered was that it was the harder they held on to a particular institution, the more filled with fear they were. The more they wanted the acceptance of the team or the squad or or all these other things, it was the only lifeline they were holding on to. And in their exile, they didn't know where else to go. They were just like Simon Peter sitting in that boat, clinging to those nets, throwing them back out, pulling them back in, hour after hour after hour in the night, saying, I will make this work. This is who I am. I just know it. I just need to be released from this exile. I just need to find my home again. And that was the surprising thing with my friends and I. What we ended up creating together wasn't just a a group or a cohort or a, a place of safety. It was a home. It was the creation of a new home together that out of our many brokennesses, we found something sustaining and real and wonderful. And isn't isn't that the opposite of exile? Certainly for the children of Israel, but for all of us, isn't coming home the opposite of that? Isn't coming home the feeling that Isaiah 65 tries to capture as they return from Babylon? And isn't that the joy, the absolute joy that Simon Peter feels as he comes crashing through the water? To return to the arms of Christ. To the invitation made on the shore. To the miracle, to the real life. To the warmth of that fire that was made there. This past week, a friend of mine pointed out something about the Gospel of John. There are fully two fires listed in the Gospel One is here on the beach with Simon Peter and Christ. And the other 
is a few days past in the courtyard as Simon Peter stands beside it and says, I do not know him. One fire placing Simon Peter in exile and another fire welcoming him home. It's true. It's true that privilege and power and all the other things of our life can blind us to the real story of the exile, can blind us to the desperate people who are being pushed out of their homes, but it also blinds us to the deeper truth that we have the power to exile ourselves. And we often do. It blinds us to the real relief that Isaiah has for us. It fools us into imagining that our spirits are not in peril. That if we just stay on the boat and keep throwing out the net, we'll find our place. It keeps us awash in self-doubt and self-loathing. Meanwhile, Christ is on the shore building a fire to welcome us home. It's true. There is evil in the world. Our cathedrals burn. Evil racist people will burn down your church. It's true that people will shoot and bomb you while you worship because of your color or language or background. The real exile is also a choice that we make to stay on the boat If it weren't so, Isaiah wouldn't write this. Being in exile would just be a thing that happened. Yeah, we were in exile for a while in Babylon. It was real bad, but, you know, then it was over, so we did this other stuff. No, this, this is a message of hope for people that need to hear a message of hope. For people that experience their own exile in every walk of life. For people that have that exile nature within them. This is the message of hope that says, don't be afraid of leaving your exile. Don't be afraid to jump out of the boat and swim to shore if you have to. This is a message of hope to people who will go through despair. Isaiah knew it. The children of Israel knew it. Jesus knew it. And Peter knew it. The intention of these passages is to remind us, remind the faithful church, God's chosen people, to bring love into the world, to be inspired. So that we know what it looks like when exiled children can return home to safety. Our role, our role as Easter people, as people of a resurrected Christ, is not to stay in the boat Our lives are not intended for fruitless work through the night. We are not supposed to be returning to our old ways because we are ashamed or hurt. We're meant to come running, splashing through the waters to embrace our risen Savior, to eat together the meal that has been prepared for us and to sit by the fire 
and return to our true home. 